I moved to Berlin for an intensive language course. This is how it went. Hello and welcome back to Diddy and Hawthorne in the In-Between. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz, and you're listening to my podcast about the relevancy of literature in the 21st century. Now bookmark that book and let's begin. So I was actually planning on doing an entirely different topic for today's episode, but in the last week or so of my intensive course, I just have hit this wall. It's like I was riding a bike, and I just literally didn't see this brick wall right in front of me, and I hit it, and I'm just like on the ground, like disoriented, trying to figure out how I'm going to get up and call for help. And I felt like it was more important for me to come back and talk about my struggles with intensive language learning, um, just so that you guys can see both the highs and the lows of my journey here. I did do a podcast a couple weeks ago about my first book that I finished in German. That was an awesome experience, and here are some of the not-so-awesome experiences. I'm using paper notes for this uh, episode, so if you guys hear some shuffling, that's what it is. We're just gonna ride along back to the 1980s for this episode. So I think the most frustrating part about learning a language intensively is that your default is in a different language. So when you're speaking, you absolutely have to get immediately out of in this habit of translation. So you have to learn how to think, at least while you're speaking and writing, in the target language. And really frustrating for me is um, this daily obstacle of overcoming the presumption that I can't be as creative with German as I am with English because I can think of a million ways to say something in English and I can only think of one grammatically correct way to say this thing in German and that's absolutely obviously not true. German is just as Um, valuable and just as malleable as English is. I just don't know all of the rules yet for German in order to be as creative as I am with English. And also my gut isn't always right, which is super frustrating because I will think, okay, this sounds really good, this sounds um, correct, and sometimes it's just totally incorrect and you just have to learn how to live with that and um, trying to memorize some of these things, um, especially with an intensive course, everything moves so fast. You go through two or three grammatical points every day and then move on. There's a test every week for everything that you've learned, and it's just about, it's not about regurgitating. It's not about memorizing and regurgitating. It's really about finding ways to quickly ingrain something into your mind, and it's not even... Um, it's not just rather production, it's about being able to understand something to a level that you just, where you just know it automatically and you can hear it and understand it and you can also reproduce it. Being in another country changes your schedule a lot. I wanted to say that language learning is a bell curve um, in that after two weeks of this course, I really couldn't speak both languages. I couldn't speak German, I couldn't speak in English either because I was just overwhelmed and confused. My mind was kind of processing everything. But at three and a half weeks, just one and a half weeks later, um, that was the point when people in Berlin stopped switching to English when I tried to speak to them in German. Um, meaning that something clicked, my grammar, my accent are both got good enough that it's possible that I can carry on a conversation in German and I can 
be fluent enough in that conversation where they're not going to get any clues that I speak English and that I would be more comfortable speaking English. However, as I mentioned earlier, between four and five weeks, that's where I am now. Um, it's definitely a stalemate. Uh, my default just like aggressively switched back to English. I don't know why or how that happened, but I spent the weekend in Nuremberg and um, really not many people, actually no one that I spoke to was able to speak English um, and I spoke German the entire weekend. I wrote everything down in German, I only read German, I really don't understand, but somehow when I got back to Berlin um, yesterday evening, I just aggressively, all my thought patterns and um, just my perceptions of the world just aggressively switch back to English and that has been extremely frustrating, especially today. Um, and I know as a linguistics major and as a linguist, I've learned a lot about language learning, I know intuitively that eventually, as I get fluent enough in German, my English will also improve. This is a huge um, negative stereotype that's actually not true, um, especially with parents who refuse to teach their children a different language. My dad, for example, um, is fluent in South Korean, he's from South Korea. However, we, my brother and I, we don't know any South Korean and there was a stigma, especially as my brother and I were growing up, that somehow if we were taught to be bilingual from a young age that our English wouldn't be as good or perhaps we would have an accent or we would view the world too differently and be too different and that's not true at all. Actually, people who especially learn languages from when they're really little have better language skills later in life than people who are monolingual from the time they're little. There's really not a lot of inhibiting factors when learning languages at all um, and <laughs> adult language learning is a very interesting case that we won't have time to get into today, um, especially because there are so many different takes on it, but I really think that um, getting into the things that help language learning, immersing completely is something that really, really helps and really helped me, I think, in this um, whole process. So for example, like not being, just don't approach immense immersion with fear. So I put my phone, my laptop, everything um, technological that I own, that's it, my phone, my laptop, um, everything, just all my, um, my Chrome is in German, all my apps are in German, I just really, um, I wanted to make it so that I essentially didn't see English um, on my normal day-to-day -day life and that is something that's really, really helped because I've begun to recognize the patterns of my phone in German once again so I don't have to go through and read everything really carefully anymore, I can just, okay, yeah, I can operate on my phone in German now, that's wonderful. One thing that is my huge, I think this is actually my biggest pet peeve without exaggeration in my German class um, is that kids literally, and I saw this before I left as well when I was in the States, so this is not just a, an international language school thing, it's that people literally in class will look They'll, okay, they'll be making a point in German, right? They'll say, okay, yeah, blah, 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 des wegen, or therefore, uh, and then they'll stop, 
and they'll look at their phone because they're translating it. So they're literally in the middle of a 30 second long point and they take another 20 seconds to translate that word they need, which was either a very obvious word or a word they could easily, easily work around in conversation. Um, and then they'll finish the point and their point is truncated. It's not as powerful at all as it would be, for example, if they just worked around that word. I really hate it when people literally stop what they're saying and they have the whole classroom floor to themselves and they're translating it on their phone. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but there were kids that would do this also in my language um, like clubs at school. We would be having a conversation and they'd go, oh, wait a minute, I need to translate a word. It's like, no, you have, obviously, if you're translating words this much, you have the vocabulary memorized, you're just not confident enough in your ability to, to work around that word. Because you really can, it's Language is an incredibly creative process, and I think that you should really just not approach it with fear, and then you can go about your merry way and learn the language intensively. So I would say the biggest point here, my biggest frustration, is do not rely on translators, especially when speaking. <laughs> um, and yes, enough said, I think, with that. Um, another tip with this point is to actually use museum audio guides in the target language. So um, I go to a museum almost every day and I always, always get the audio guide in German. I think um, even though you're not gonna understand everything and maybe you'll miss a funny point or something like that every once in a while, it's really gonna get you in tune to a lot of the different accents, the different speakers of that language, um, what they for example, value, um, how they enunciate, how they articulate, things like this, and that's very important. The second tip is keeping a diary in the target language. So, um, part of this is I'm not really a diary person, I don't really like journaling, I'm pretty consistent, but it's not really my thing. Um, but I think that especially when you're learning a language intensively, so much happens every day that you can't afford to forget a single day. Um, and there's a lot about emotions and just figuring out about how to document this very unique process that you've put yourself in, but in the target language. And chances are, I mean, I consider myself a writer. I write a lot. Um, I'm only writing in German. So the reason why a lot of these podcast episodes haven't been scripted is because I really don't want myself, I don't want to allow myself to write in English, which is really, um, it's really heartbreaking sometimes, honestly, because um, I often, when I'm walking, and I walk a lot, like several kilometers a day, um, I'll think of a line and I'm just like, wow, that's a good line, you know, I could start a poem or something with that, and I can't write it down because I can't write anything down in English. Um, and that's, you know, obviously another reminder, like, okay, switch back to German, like, you know, try to just flip that switch one more time today. Um, and that's another thing about keeping a journal is that I think that especially day-to-day -day living in another language, you get tired really fast and really easily. Um, so being able to just really intensively focus on this one task per day in that language outside of anything, you're doing this for yourself. You're not doing this because you have a test tomorrow or you're not doing this because you have homework or anything. It's just literally something 
that you want to intensively focus on and that's really good for your language learning. The third thing is I think sleep is one of the most important things. Um, I usually get about 9 to 10 hours of sleep. I know it's horrendous every night during the school year at Northwestern. I actually dream just a lot. I don't, I'm sure that I've talked about this in some of my other episodes, especially in my interviews. We end up talking about dreaming a lot for some reason. But yeah, I dream multiple dreams per night. I remember all of them. Um, I remember at least four, I think, per night usually. But here in Germany, again, the schedule thing is totally different. I sleep about seven to eight hours a night maximum, and I really, really am feeling it. Um, I haven't really dreamt at all since coming to Germany, which, it, which really sucks because uh, that means I also haven't dreamt much in German. And I think that if I was getting that amount of sleep that I really need, um, I would be dreaming in German, and I would be remembering things more in German. So, I would say... If you know how much you need to sleep per night, and usually people by the time they get to college or so, they know, okay, I need six hours, I need nine hours like me, <laughs> I need, they usually don't need more than nine, um, nine hours to be completely honest. So I would just say, okay, you need to get that amount of sleep, that's your blanket number. <laughs> I'm trying to work on this, but some things like this podcast, for example, come a little bit before getting that extra 30 minutes of sleep. Number four out of four, the point is to continuously engage with what you love. And this is kind of an obvious point, but one that I wanted to reiterate anyway. Um, for example, I love literature. I'm, I re I'm really into comedy also, um, fashion. Just, that's pretty much it. Cooking. Um, so, everything that I've consumed here, aside from the odd Financial Times, you know, article, Forbes report, or YouTube video, has been um, in German, and that's something that's really, really helped me, because I can use the things that I love to get passion for language learning as well. So it's like I derive my passion for learning German from the things that I already am very passionate about. And this is a helpful tip, especially for the last few weeks when you've hit walls and you're frustrated all the time and you're maybe a bit tired and worn out from the whole experience. Maybe um, you have found other people that speak, for example, for me, English and you you know, are just so almost lazy that you just speak English because you can with them. Um, this is something that will motivate you to keep going and to keep learning that language as intensively, as quickly, um, and as passionately as possible. Um, for example, with fashion, um, Berlin Fashion Week was the first week that I was here and that was awesome. It was a great experience. Um, and also I have this presentation in class and the topic is open so I'm talking about Dirndl and Lederhosen, the traditional German um, clothing, fashion. Um, they're really cute. They actually made a comeback in like between 2013 and now they've made a total comeback so um, they're worth checking out. Leave some links in the description. And that about sums it up. I think if I really had to make a summary statement, I'd say 
keep your passion going for the language and don't have any fear when you're going through this intensive language process. And, and no, it's very daunting and I'm living through it myself, but I really encourage you guys, if you want to learn a language, it's not as hard as you think. All you need to do is start. I am doing a poll on my website currently and hopefully on Twitter, we'll see, about whether or not I should open a YouTube and or an Instagram account. I would open YouTube to film my recording process of this, which I'm honestly a bit afraid to do because I feel like I don't have to be seen in order to be a successful podcaster, but I actually really do like the video formats of a lot of podcasters, namely the mustards, but um, I want to see what you guys think. I think um, I'm going to take from the Graham Stephan show. I think he has a really good point in that creating a platform and an audience is a lot about customer service in a way. There's not really a better word for it and he doesn't think that there is either, but um, yeah, it's really finding what the audience wants and catering to it and I really wanted like I really want to know what you guys think about this and the Instagram would be um, I love photography and I don't think a lot of you guys know that so I was thinking about publishing some of my photography um, and just like not really putting the photographs with a matching episode but kind of just like overlaying the episode on top of these really fun photographs that I do let me know what you guys think about that, and I will see you all next week. If you enjoyed the discussion and would like to hear more from me, there is an episode of DH&I for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our back catalog of episodes. 2019 is the year of Didion, so if you'd like to follow along in my quest to read Joan Didion's collective works or learn more about the movement to bring lit back to people, everything can be found at Didion and Hawthorne.blueberry.net, and remember that Blueberry is spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. Now you can also follow the show on Twitter with at DidionIn, two ends total. I'll be posting about new lit releases, reading lists, and of course the new projects and episodes relating to DH&I. Still there? One more thing then, remember that leaving a comment or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other Guilty Pleasure podcast platform helps leverage the show so that other literature enthusiasts can find the community. In other words, it helps a ton. Auf Wiedersehen!